Hello everyone. It's been a while, but it's so good to be back and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Kathy Bishop. Um, Kathy is a medical herbalist and she's the founder of Into the Wild. If you haven't come across Into the Wild before, please do um, check, check out the website. Um, so Into the Wild is a natural intimate lubricant brand that's registered with the Vegan Society and the Soil Association. Kathy also runs the clinic, The Wild Herbalist, where she helps women transform their vaginal health, um, which is obviously something that we're really interested in and passionate about here at See Her Thrive. So it was a real joy to come across Kathy and to, to connect with her. Kathy really does believe that lube is for every woman, not just around the menopause and that good vaginal health is paramount to being able to create your best life. So in the show today, we are going to talk about a whole host of different things um, around what Kathy does as a medical herbalist, around vaginal health. Um, so please do enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Kathy Bishop. Kathy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much, Claire. It's great to be here. Thank you. So first of all, I've never met a medical herbalist before. So how, how did you get into herbal medicine and become a herbalist? What was your, your journey to, to ending up here? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I think, I think, first of all, it's probably a good idea to kind of set out what a herbalist is as well, because I think people can... One of the things that I got quite a lot when in the first few years after I qualified was the question, oh, so you're a homeopath? No, no I'm not a homeopath. <laughs> but I think it's one of the things that um, everyone seems to have heard quite a lot about um, homeopathy and also Chinese herbal medicine. But Western herbal medicine, which is what I am, um, is, uh, is a little bit different to that. So... Um, a homeopath uses um, infinitesimally small doses of something um, that would normally cause the type of symptom that you're treating in someone um, and it's kind of like the philosophy is like cures like and it's quite an energetic medicine um, herbal medicine works much more on a pharmacological basis and it's not looking at using a substance a plant that would cause the same uh, symptoms that someone's experiencing. You're looking at a, a totally different philosophy um, to use the chemistry of the plant to help the body regain its balance, basically. Um, and we look at the, the body from a, a holistic point of view. So I guess you'd go and see a herbalist for the same kind of things that you would go and see a GP for. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a wide range, and obviously I've chosen to specialise in vaginal health. Um, but 
um, I think if you go and see like conventional medicine, often they'll look at different individual systems separately. So they're not connected to the rest of the body. So first things first, a herbalist will look at the whole individual. So people will come and see me as a herbalist for vaginal health, but obviously their vaginas are connected to the rest of them as a person. So we look at everything that's going on because both the vaginal health will be affecting the rest of their health and the rest of their health will be affecting their vaginal health. Um, and we only use plants. Um, and yeah, so we use kind of plant chemistry um, synergistically, maybe a combination of plants that's picked for the individual to treat them. Um, we also look at diet and lifestyle intervention as well. And as well as it working on like a chemical level, the plants also work on that energetic level. Um, so they they interact both with yourself as an energetic being, if that makes sense, and also on an emotional level as well. Um, so back to your question, <laughs> which is how did I discover herbal medicine? I always blame Led Zeppelin for me discovering herbal medicine <laughs> because You're it. Gonna have to explain that. Right. <laughs> as a young child, I absolutely adored Led Zeppelin. Well, I still do. I've I've got a lifelong love of Led Zeppelin, basically, and it was. Um, so you listen to Led Zeppelin, some of their kind of more folky stuff that I got into folk. I guess, not entirely fair, I mean, my, my family have also come from a bit of a folky background, so I guess that was always a theme, but that was something that really struck my imagination, some of the songs on, like, um, Led Zeppelin 3 and 4, if you know their back catalogue. Anyway, um, and that kind of got me into folk music and through folk music, I kind of was interested in folklore and the stories behind it and then folk medicine. And I'm still a child at this point and I'm just like really enthralled with all of this stuff. And through um, kind of that interest, I got more and more interested in folk medicine and the fact that things around you could heal you that that concept first of all was just amazing you know these everyday items took on kind of almost magical potent qualities that was somehow otherworldly something that only people with specialized information or knowledge had you know um and I kind of grew up in the country and I I knew um a lady who I suppose we can say she's like more like a wise woman figure she certainly was to me as a child and she introduced and she would tell me a lot of kind of country law uh, folk stories um, this kind of thing so I was you know I was immediately taken with that anyway that's kind of going on in the background while I'm doing everything else and I get to college and um, I'm doing all art subjects and things but I was just like I was I was really into to, to the concept of folk medicine at this point and I was like damn if I want to study this well I'm doing all art subjects that's quite tricky okay well I'll just keep it on the back burner and carry on so I went off and did my first degree in um, English and creative writing and then it was still there once I finished that it was still there I was still really interested so I thought okay what what what, what do you want to do with this I was working up in um, London for the British Film Institute at the time and I was like okay what what do you want to do this was kind of just it just wasn't going away for me so I started doing some short courses just to see if it was really what I wanted you know and at the time, the Mary Ward Centre um, in Holborn Way, they were doing like six week health medicine classes and things. And I did a class there. Then I went on, did the next one. I was like, yeah, because I knew that if I was to train as a medical herbalist, it was kind of going to be a bit of a lifelong commitment, really, um, because it's very vocational, I guess. Whereas my first degree was kind of very wide ranging and you could use that in a lot of settings and things this was very very specific and it was kind of like going to be your whole life 
but I really welcomed that. So it felt really good fit. So I went along and I applied. Um, actually, I had to do a access course first to uh, make sure I've got all my science up to date. So anatomy and physiology, that's complicated. I did it over, uh, over two years, um, kind of just uh, self-study um, while I was working for the British Film Institute in my lunch times and weekends and evenings and things. And it was just a whole other world. And it just gave me a real appreciation for the human body at that point. And I was just like, I mean, it was basic AMP, but for someone who didn't have that apart from my GCSE and, you know, science subjects and biology, and what have you, it was just like, whoa, what, you know, like ev how everyone needs to know this. Our bodies are, it's incredible what our bodies are doing without us even realizing. So, you know, I was really hooked from that point of view. Um, so yeah, so once I passed that course, I went on to train at Westminster University, which was, which was intense. It was super intense and it was a really, really good time in my life, actually. And I think when you're studying with everyone else, you're really deep in, um, you're so deep in it and you're, and everyone else that you're around day to day is really deep in it as well. It's such an immersive experience. And it's very different from doing my first degree, arts degree, which was, I think in my last year, I had five hours contact time, <laughs> which is funny um, uh, for herbal medicine. I mean, as a minimum, you have to do 500 clinical hours. So you're doing your academic part, but you're also on top of doing an academic degree, essentially the first three years of a medical degree, essentially. You're also doing all your clinical work on top of your degree and you're learning all about the herbs on top of that as well. So it's, it, it's, it's a packed time. <laughs> um, and yeah, how, how did my journey lead me here? Well, I guess at the time I hadn't thought to specialise in vaginal health. I was um, really interested. Again, my love of like that folk tradition really uh, was fueling me at that point. Um, but from the age of 11, I'd had kind of running incidentally. I'd um, had my own journey with my own intimate health. And I'd from the age of 11 was the first time I ever got thrush. And between the ages of 11 and 32, I think I had thrush probably about 85, 90% of the time. So wow. I first, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's quite a lot to deal with. Um, I didn't know anyone else at that point that was, was going through those things. You don't as an 11 year old, you know, it's just a hideous experience that first time you go to the doctor and it's, I just remember feeling like that first time they took the swab just to check what was going on. I just remember feeling like I just wanted to shrivel up and die on the couch. You know, I was 11. I just, I just started my periods, I think. And the whole thing was just embarrassing and, you know, it, it wasn't great. Um, and I think I consulted with a herbalist the first time when I was about 14, a local herbalist, and we were, we'd kind of got it under control but it and I'd learned how to manage it but it hadn't actually ever fully gone away so that's kind of what really inspired me and when I was training like everyone in like who you're studying with knows your and everyone else's kind of like medical problems and issues because we're all like working on each other and ourselves and all the things you know and and it was we just kind of spoke about it in really matter-of-fact terms there was no shame or stigma around it in in like my my cohort as well as talking about all of their stuff as well. It was just because it was our, you know, it's a bread and butter thing. Like many women that suffer with thrush or BV and things 
consult with herbalists. Um, and so that that was really that was really reassuring actually. Um, and I had my idea for the lube while I was training as well from in our training clinic, which I'll talk about a bit later if if we get a chance. But um, yeah, and that that kind of just boiled away with me, and it just became after I qualified, it just became more and more obvious that I was just becoming more and more passionate about helping women who are experiencing recurrent and chronic conditions in in the vaginal area. Um, from my own experience I know how that can be and it just seemed to make more sense and because I had that background in the arts well I know as a woman who is suffering with anything vaginally it really drains your creativity because it's taken your um, what's the word it's taken your attention all the time all the time even if it's just niggling in the background it's draining your energy so I felt really passionate about that. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of a long, long potted history of how I arrived here. <laughs> so interesting. Thank you. No, it's it, thrush. I think it's another thing that we just don't talk about and vaginal health in general. Um, it's, yeah, it's another thing that we, even as women, you know, we don't talk about it with each other and it's so common and, I mean, I've had thrush goodness knows how many times and it's, it's awful. It really can knock you completely sick. It's, if you've never experienced it before, I think it's really hard to understand just how, how awful it is. Um, so it would be great to, to dive into the kind of vaginal health mm. stuff um, and talk about that a bit more. Sure. Um, now on your website you talk about our vaginal ecology yeah how do you speak to that yeah absolutely I really like the term vaginal ecology because I think until in the last few years it's become more widespread to talk about the gut microbiome and we kind of understanding and we're getting a more generalized knowledge that in our gut plays host to a whole environment um an ecosystem of bacteria but we also are now learning about other microbiome sites on the body we get microbiome sites in the ear in the nose in the mouth buccal cavity we also get it in the bladder and the urethra even the uh womb uterus has its own uh, microbiome and of course the vagina does have one as well the vulva has its own separate one that's obviously influenced by the vagina and vice versa. So um, talking about the ecology, we're kind of talking about that bacterial or microbial, let's say rather, because that brings it out a bit wider, that environment. Um, so in there, we're looking at good bacteria, the stuff, the lactobacilli that keep us nice and healthy. Um, we're also talking about the bad bacteria, the kind of things like Gardnerella, um, anatopobium that are causing things like BV, uh, urea plasma that are, that are causing other issues in there. You're also talking about um, yeasts and fungi, so candida. Um, there's not only one candida species that can cause thrush, there's five main more well-known ones um, and they're kind of normally kept under control by the lactobacilli, a good healthy lactobacilli population. And we're also talking viruses as well. So looking at things like HPV virus um, and the ones that are causing a whole range of STIs as well. So 
it's not just bacteria basically it, it's a whole microbial population making up that vaginal ecology i think it's quite a nice way to put it as well because ecology ecology it just feels like a nicer word to me <laughs> than talking about a microbial community i also use microbiome as well which i think is is a really nice word but it kind of brings us back to that idea that it is an environment and it is a living environment as well um i think if you don't suffer i mean you lucky lucky women um if you've never suffered um with anything that's caused you a problem vaginally i mean maybe you might have had the odd bit of flush sometimes and it clears quickly or what have you very very lucky um you might not particularly give that part of your body too much thought the the time you might think about it the most is when you're thinking about having sex something like that um and which is amazing that's kind of where we we not only want to be at the point where women are able to <clears throat> deal with um, any issues that they're having vaginally, but to have that kind of robust system for themselves that they don't necessarily need to think about their vaginal health in those terms. And we can think instead about our vaginas as the places of power rather than places. Exactly right. I love that. <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> rather than, um, rather than either places of irritation or we're just not thinking about them. So um, you, you mentioned earlier about the word vagina. Now, I use it in social situations more than most people, especially when you're meeting people the first time and they're like, what do you do? I'm like, are you sitting comfortably? you won't be in a minute and it's funny just the reactions from people people shrink away you know you can see people physically shrinking away just for the use of the word vagina so i've got a poll running on my clinic facebook page if anyone wants to check it out please head over to the wild herbalist on facebook um wild is spelled w-y-l-d-e because i'd really appreciate input actually to see what word people prefer for vagina other than vagina or is vagina fine because i want to talk to people in the language that they would prefer you know although i'm really down for using anatomically correct language because i think that really helps to change the way we think about words and it changes the the, the unholy trinity of the three s's as i'd like to call them which is silence stigma and shame it helps to break those things down um if 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 it's putting people off then that's not really the idea <laughs> so it, it's interesting to see people's reactions and i hope one day we're going to be getting to a situation where you can say the word vagina just as you say the word nose or finger yeah i think, word, I think we are getting there aren't we slowly slowly i mean i love god your your website is it's brilliant and i remember looking at it for the first time and just saying is your fanny on fire and i thought well, that's that's hilarious because actually that's what you say and i'm sure people listening who've had brush or any kind of you know vaginal irritation will completely relate to that and i just like he hard laughing at that i thought that's brilliant because <laughs> that is woman to woman that's how we talk about these things yeah. so it's great that you are 
communicating this in a real way? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Because I, I've been there. I know how it feels uh, as well. And just at that point, it really feels like you're on fire or you've got ants in your pants or whatever is exactly going on. Because thrush, BV, they can feel different having had them. I want to say not not everything but those two in particular I've had I, I just know what that feels like <laughs> so yeah I think that's really important um just to make it accessible for people as well you know I think that's super important so we've talked about um thrush and, and the vaginal ecology are there and all for me personally there are definitely triggers for thrush that I've noticed over the years and a lot of it is linked to diet so if I have too much gluten if I have too much alcohol too much sugar it's like major thrush trigger um so I guess what I'm asking is what are the sort of lifestyle factors that people need to be aware of when it comes to thrush and vaginal health in general and are there any preventative measures people can take to kind of boost their vaginal health yeah absolutely I mean I think you've mentioned quite a few of them first a big major factor that I see clinically and I know a lot have a lot of kind of empirical stories and evidence for is around diet and uh kind of free sugars and just general sugar in the diet um there was a point at which I couldn't eat sugar without having a thrush or have food, not, not that I'm eating sugar, you know, but couldn't have food that had sugars in without getting a thrush outbreak. Um, there isn't actually any medical literature that I know of that has found a definitive link if they're looking at it from a medical trial basis. I may be wrong and I hope there is going to be some soon that finds that because empirically it happens so much um and I at that time and I would recommend women that this is happening for um try and get a fasting glucose blood sugar test just to see but these things can happen subclinically I think as well because I've had them come back fine often thrush is triggered uh, for people that have got uncontrolled diabetes so that's why we're asked to look at that kind of test because that's the amount of free sugars in the blood and things that are going around causing this because sugar is a major source of food for candida does so, that mean that also someone with polycystic ovary syndrome might be more susceptible possibly possibly again it depends on the individual um but obviously there's that syndrome x um linking with pcos i mean yes absolutely but it doesn't mean that if that is what's going on for you you're necessarily a candidate for pcos or syndrome x because Everybody, everybody's body, okay, it's, it largely functions in the same way, sure, because we learn anatomy and physiology, right? But there are so many minute differences that it adds up to a different picture for each person and how, how that presents. Um, so looking at diet is one way. Now, a lot of people have um, talked about the candida diet, the anti-candida diet, 
which is where you eliminate all things like fresh fruits, anything that might have sugars in. It's quite an extreme diet. It's not something that I recommend for people because I don't think, I think you deprive your body of other things that you need, but it's something that we look at on a case by case basis. So diet can be really one that's implicated. Obviously as yourself, you found out that there were certain other triggers other than sugar. So gluten and wheat for you as one. And that makes sense because it's, if it's causing you an inflammatory response in your body and you've got that going on, it's a perfect trigger for candida to go, Oh great. I can, I can overgrow now. So that, that's one thing. Um, there's classic things that are, things that are directly almost in contact with that area of your body. So looking at things like underwear, what you wash your clothes in, because some, perfumed or biological um powders and, and liquids can set some people off wearing tight clothes wearing heavily dyed clothes even toilet paper i've had um, a, a couple of clients actually where they've had to swap out their toilet paper for bamboo bamboo is a really nice one it's it, because i don't know if i don't know if people have studied toilet paper as much as i have basically <laughs> I've thought about it this much, but um, regular toilet paper, you know, supermarket owned, I think probably even Android, whatever, normal toilet paper is quite fluffy and there's quite a lot of dust that comes off of it. If you've got an irritated vulva and vagina, not that you're putting toilet paper up your vagina, that's fair play. But if you've got an irritated vulva, this fluff is going to irritate it further. So bamboo doesn't have that. And that, that's one that we recommend. Um, but then also looking at things like your immune system, because the immune system is really implied in looking after your vaginal health. Um, in looking at that vaginal ecology, we want to have primarily um, uh, an environment that is as least diverse as it can be and is dominated by the five lactobacilli. Um, but in the main, um, Lactobacillus crispatus is the main one that we look for as providing um, a good vaginal ecology and having that low diversity of other microbes, so all the, all the bad stuff, all the viruses, all the, all the um, yeast as well. Um, and the immune system plays a really big role in helping to maintain that. Um, people's immune system they can think oh it's fine i don't often get colds you know that they're not they're not having any other outer signs but obviously something is going on that it means your immune system if you're getting vaginal health issues that that it's your immune system isn't really dealing too well with that um so we really need to look at immune health as well that's one of the things that we really look at and digestive health as well um so Obviously, digestive health is wider than just the amount of sugar that you're eating, but it's like things like constipation. You constipated, but oh, we go into lots of nice things when we have our chats. <laughs> so, um, so, so those are, so those are some things as well. And looking at again, I mean, it's not something that people can easily do by themselves, but looking at their hormone balance. And I say balance because I, I say balance reservedly, really. I don't really like that term when we're talking about hormones or when we're talking about vaginal health. Often we talk about 
we see everywhere hormone balance oh and is your vagina out of balance what does that mean because when we think of the word balance we think of kind of that scales where the two things are on equal sides and therefore we balance but that's not really how it is with hormones or with vaginal health um i should really think of a different name and start using that and making that popular because balance is such a bad word but if we're talking about vaginal health and balance that's an interesting one that I'd like to just cover um, because I think it's a misnomer out there of what that means. Um, and it's important to really understand this stuff because it's not taught in schools and yet it's really vital information about our bodies as women. So much we're not taught <laughs> that's actually that would actually be useful life skills, I think. Um, if you see the term vaginal balance, they're normally talking about the pH of it. A healthy vagina has got an acidic pH of 3.8 to 4.5 and this is created and maintained by the lactobacilli. This is why people might end up thinking that they've got like bleach knickers because essentially their mucus is acidic and it's the same acidity as a lemon is if you think in those sort of terms. A squeezed lemon um, obviously it doesn't taste the same that's important to point out as well but <laughs> it's worth saying because that could be confusing um and when we're at a point of balance i'm putting balance in inverted commas we're talking in being in that area of ph for our vaginal health um back in school we learned what a balanced ph was and that was ph7 right because it was slap bang in the middle of the ph scale and that's not what we're talking about here so i think that that's quite a confusing term and i'm going to go away and create something new to to describe that i think um so it's a better a better description um and so i think there's you will see a lot well i see a lot because it's my job right but if you're searching for this stuff you see a lot of things talking about a balanced vagina um how to regain balance and it's normally selling you a product of some sort um and i think it's really good to start off with knowing what that actually means first that's, of all yeah that's really helpful because we do that is plastered everywhere isn't it regain the balance yeah and you're like but what does that mean i mean i just immediately think when i hear the word balance i think of scales i don't know about any other women out there but that's not helpful terminology yeah so can our um does our vaginal ph level fluctuate does it change or like what happens with that yeah that's that's a that's a really good question yes is is the long and the short it changes at various points in our lives um it changes in relation to what our hormones are doing as well but we're looking really to stay within that 3.8 to 4.5 so when it fluctuates as a menstruating as a woman of menstruating age we're looking that it's going to be around unless we're getting um things like bv infections and things we're looking at a range of around 3.8 to 4.5 now when you have your bleed when you have your period straight after that because blood is more alkaline than the vaginal environment it makes the vaginal environment slightly more slightly higher pH again it's still likely to be within 3.8 to 4.5 um, 
if you're prone to getting BV, it can be a trigger for that to kind of tip over if, if you've got those uh, microbes kind of hiding out there waiting for like an opportunistic time. Um, so through the month, it, it varies around ovulation as well. It can be the point at which you're getting quite a happy pH. That's because around ovulation, the hormones that are dominant around that time that are causing the um, release of the egg are also um, causing the vaginal mucosa to produce more glycogen. And that's why we end up with around ovulation, that um, cervical mucus that's like egg white and sticky and stringy. Um, that's obviously to aid uh, sperm um, movement if you're trying to conceive the body is great see um, but it, glycogen is also a perfect uh, food it's, it's the perfect food for two things it's perfect food for lactobacilli fab that's the stuff that creates the lactic acid that keeps the, the vagina a happy balance if you've got opportunistic candida hanging around it also feeds on glycogen so some people as well they will get an outbreak of thrush around or just after ovulation because that's kind of peak glycogen production from the vagina um so it kind of depends really but it's interesting to note that um you can have thrush inside a perfectly happy vaginal ph so it doesn't have to be it, your vagina doesn't have to be out of balance for there to be that overgrowth it'll be out of balance in terms of um, microbial overgrowth but not in terms of ph so i think that's a misnomer as well people think oh my ph is wildly out because i've got this uh, thrush come up but that's not the case interesting oh this is so insightful so <laughs> insightful your vagina I mean, it's such a complex system as well. <laughs> it's really complex. So it's a lot to get, kind of get your teeth into, if that's the right terminology. <laughs> so I really want to talk herbs now, if we can. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for, for kind of general women's health or vaginal health, are there some super herbs that we should have on our radar or supplement with or um rub on ourselves or put in the bath or whatever you do with them are there, yeah, yeah. Are there um are there some kind of big players that we should be aware of yeah absolutely so first of all i would always say don't medicate yourself because that's essentially even though herbs are plants it's still medication don't medicate yourself unless there's a problem so if you've got really robust vaginal health i mean all power to you basically and i wouldn't start introducing anything new so that's that's the first thing um and then at the next layer i would be looking um, if you're just wanting to support your vaginal health to do it through your diet first of all and obviously we know that a lot of we eat a lot of plants right in our diets so <laughs> one of the um, herbs that I would say to include in your diet is garlic and I would like that to be as raw as possible mm, interesting so I've eaten raw garlic in all kinds of insane ways as a training herbalist and I don't recommend those and I'm not going to talk about them but um you can mix you can crush it has to be crushed as well 
crushed raw garlic into salads, into rice, things like that. Um, if you want to cook with garlic, put it in, obviously crush it before and then put it in in your last 15 minutes of um, cooking. Um, garlic is an amazing antibacterial, antifungal. Um, and it, it has the ability for its odiferous compounds, which are often the compounds in the plant, which are actually doing quite a lot of the work of the plant as well, to kind of travel into all excretory areas of the body. So if you think about eating garlic, it normally comes out on the breath. You can probably even um, smell it on the feet after eating it and you, it will come out into vaginal mucosa as well because um, that is vaginal mucosa obviously produces mucus and that's an excretory part of the body right um, so that that is one I would also look at marigold as well in teas that's calendula officinalis in teas you might be able to get it from your local health food shop but if not, you can get it online from places like Baldwin's, um, Neil's Yard, um, Cole Peppers if they're still going. There's somewhere in Edinburgh I know that does that 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 you can buy online herbs and just take uh, like a teaspoon per cup of tea and have that a couple of times a day. This is a great female herb, so it helps with um, lymphatic clearance, especially in the pelvic bowl area. Um, and it's an antifungal and skin healing cream, herb as well. It's not a cream, it's a herb, um, herb as well. Um, if you're getting thrush, if you're prone to thrush, I would say Powdarko as well is one to look out for. This is definitely a health food store purchase. Um, there's one brand I know that does some really, really nice medicinal strength tea bags that you can buy over the counter just as a regular, as a regular person. Um, and the company's called uh, Rio Amazon and they do Powdarco tea bags. And that is quite specific for anti-candidal. Um, and it can help if you're, if you're prone to getting it thrush kind of chronically, um, or recurrently it can just help keep it at bay so those are three herbs that I think are really really useful for people to use for vaginal health fantastic that's I haven't even heard of the last two of marigold and hmm. how yeah pal it's called it's got the hero it's so good isn't it I'd always think that should I spell it so that people know <laughs> it's p apostrophe a u and then a second word, D apostrophe A-R-C-O. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have got that. <laughs> yeah, it's like pow. I love it. it, it, it I really like the taste as well. It's quite a smoky taste if you like kind of smoked foods and like that sort of, um, is it called unami flavour? That unami taste. It's kind of quite fits into that. Is it unami? I think it is. Anyway, it kind of fits into that. So um, it's quite a nice one. <laughs> Nice. If anybody's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I, I want to learn more about herbal medicine, Western herbal medicine. Are there any um, books or resources that you could signpost people to as a, a kind of introduction hmm. in this world? Yeah, absolutely. There's some really nice ones, actually. So there's a book by Thomas Bartram. Um, it's on my bookshelf. What is it called? It's just called Bartram's Encyclopedia of Herbal Medicine. 
and that just goes through different herbs and conditions so you look it up as you would in a dictionary alphabetically um by condition there's some really nice um i want to say picture books but you know like the dawdon kindersley type presentation of a lot of um kind of visuals and snippets of information um, there's one by Andrew Chevalier, who is a herbalist, I think he's in North London. And also by another herbalist called Penelope Odie. These are really, really nice introductory books because you've got the visuals as well. And herbal medicine is such a visual medicine. It kind of delights the senses, I think, um, that these are really, really beautiful uh, books to start with. Um, if you're interested in vaginal health, Give us a year and a half, and I'm in the middle of writing a book at the moment that's due to come out in 22, I think, that's kind of like a, a how-to of vaginal health and herbs and therapeutics for that. So, okay, you've got to wait a little while, <laughs> but I'm I'm bang in the middle of writing it at the moment. So Amazing. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that. <laughs> oh, bless you. So it's coming. That's the first time I've announced it publicly, actually, Ooh. but it's coming. <laughs> so awesome we definitely need that well i don't think there's too much out there that covers that range of things you know that looks at all the kind of whole holistic point of view of okay so our connection just dropped in good old zoom style um, <laughs> No idea where we were. We were talking about Kathy's book, which we're very excited about. Um, so I'll keep you posted when that's available. And yeah, we'll all have to buy a copy. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to circle back to something we mentioned at the start. Absolutely. Which was about um, the loop that you've developed. Yeah. And I think we should really spend some time talking about that and how... Um, products like lube can affect our vaginal health and why you created this and what's in it and what's not in it what makes it different and special and why should we pay attention to things like um lube brilliant yeah yeah absolutely um so I think I mentioned a little bit earlier that I first had the idea for the lube when I was training. So we were in the training clinic and we kept seeing young women coming in who were getting different irritations and infections after sex. And I hate the word infections when we talk about vaginally because it sounds like something dirty and it's that's not the case. Um, but prone to things like UTIs and BV um and thrush as well and just general irritation after sex and it was really affecting both their kind of connection with their partner and also their connection with their own body and sensuality and um we obviously helped treat them but we kept seeing them and i was like wow this is a this is a bigger problem it's not something that most people talk to each other about um but obviously we're we're seeing them because they're coming into our clinic and it got me thinking and you know uh, and it it got me thinking about the lubes that we use, but then also the herbal medicines that we as herbalists can give. In these kind of situations, you may give a topical gel to someone, a herbal-based topical gel. Um, and that, I, my mind was putting lube and this kind of herbal gel together. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. We could do something with that. Um, anyway, time went by. 
and you know that was stored at the back of my brain and I just carried on studying and doing my, my you know my exams and my clinical finals and all, all of these things um and it was still nagging me in the back of my brain you know I've been obviously been focusing on you know qualifying as a herbalist until that point um so I started my practice soon after I qualified that point I had specialised in vaginal health either at that point but this was still just nagging in the back of my brain I've got this idea um now going back to to why lube why is it important to have to kind of know what you're putting there so first of all vaginal mucosa is some of the most absorbent skin on the external body um so if you think about the reg your regular um, epidermis the skin on the rest of your body if you put body cream or shower gel or what have you on there your skin will absorb up to 60 percent of what's put on your skin um but the vaginal mucosa is even more excuse me absorbent than that and again absorption rates depending on the individual and probably depend on kind of time of day and their metabolism and all sorts but needless to say, it's pretty damn absorbent. A lot of um, commercial lubricants, um, glycerin is a main ingredient that they have. Glycerin is put into many lubricants because it gives what is called a good slip, so a good feel. So slip isn't only used for terminology in terms of lube, but it's also used for like body products and you know skincare and what have you. Slip is the feeling that you have while you're rubbing the product into the skin um glycerin however is what is called a humectant so it draws water to it that's why it's often been used in a lot of the old like cold creams and facial skin care preparations like the more traditional ones it's probably using quite a lot today actually as well um in and of itself that's not a problem if you want to use it on the skin that's great because you're absorbing moisture to the skin fabulous if you put it into the vaginal environment it behaves quite differently it exerts an osmotic pressure on the membrane, the vaginal membrane. So I don't know if you people can remember back to kind of chemistry class at school and what have you. And we talked about what um, osmosis is. It's the drawing power of water across a membrane. So you're putting quite a, a high, uh, an ingredient with quite a high osmotic value into the vaginal area. It's then acting as it should do through chemistry on that mucosal membrane and drawing water out of the vaginal space, um, effectively drying the vagina. Also, as a double whammy, glycerin uh, is a great food for uh, candida as well. So if you're someone who is prone to getting thrush, it's likely to give you thrush. <laughs> so glycerin we think of glycerin as being quite generally quite an innocuous sort of um, ingredient in skincare. When you put it into the vaginal environment, it, it isn't. So it doesn't behave in a, in a good way. I don't know particularly why so many lubricant companies use it. I can imagine it's economically viable for them to do and it gives a good initial feel on application. That's really where the benefit from it ends. And ultimately, there's no benefit. Um, then you can get all sorts of other chemicals in your lubes, in the standard kind of um, commercial lubes. I've got a page on the website, actually, that goes into all of the different chemicals you may find in a lube, variously. Um, some of them are um, 
antifreeze ingredients that are used in like using your car oh my god it's obviously not put in to be an antifreeze for its antifreeze properties into a loop <laughs> obviously but it's an antifreeze ingredient it's it's a it's an antifreeze chemical um and then you've got the classic parabens that exist in their their preservative ingredients and there isn't conclusive evidence to say that they're not hormone disrupting i think that's the best way to word that um they're not they have the potential to be endocrine disruptors which are the things that are going to disrupt things like your fertility your cycle um may be implicated in hormonal cancers and i'm only saying may because there isn't conclusive evidence either way but there's not any conclusive evidence to say that they're not implicated in those things they can often be in there um so when i was thinking right i want to develop this idea that i've got it was really clear to me what i didn't want to put in it was also really clear to me what i did want to put in and what i did want it to do it was very important to me first of all that it was um, a pH that matched uh, the vagina. So we've got a pH four for the lube. Um, it was very important to me to have the herbs in there that have traditional use in gynecology for gynecological health. Um, the lube is a lubricant product. It isn't a treatment for anything, um, but it does have a range of herbs in there that I may use um, if I had a client coming to see me for a particular issue, there are herbs in there that I would definitely use in that. Um, and I wanted to ensure that it, so when we talk about the osmolarity and just going back to that, because it is an important point, uh, the World Health Organization has set a figure of which an, uh, a measure of osmolarity, which lubes should not be above if you do not want to dry the vaginal space. And there's a research paper that I've got that shows, looks at all kinds of different commercial lubes and looking at the more kind of um, natural eco ones as well. Um, many, 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 many of the commercial lubes, their osmolarity is way higher, like several hundred percent higher than it should be than the World Health Organization has said. So I get a lot of women that come in to me that say, Oh yeah, lube sting me. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Look, what? I'm, I'm not. It doesn't surprise me when I hear that. It's sad to hear it, but it doesn't surprise me because the ingredients that are in there haven't been put in there because they're good for a, a, for a female body mm. to and do the job. I guess then this also spills over into things like condoms and while we can get latex free condoms it's probably the lube on yeah. them that is the irritant yeah. for women um, yeah. and then they're like but it's latex free i i don't understand how yeah. it's happening and it's actually the the lube that's on it absolutely absolutely i mean we we would like to look at seeing if we can get our lubes for condoms if that makes sense when uh, the pre the pre-applied lube um for that very reason exactly it's really really tricky um yeah and so i i wanted to make sure that everything that went into that product was there for a particular reason and it was going to at the very minimum do no harm 
but at a standard it was going to be a good ingredient to have in there so when i when i was like right i'm going to do this i'm going to i'm going to bring a lube to market i had no idea how to do that <laughs> because i'm a medical herbalist i'm at that point i wasn't a uh, you know a, a, a founder of a products brand so i had to learn everything from from the ground up so i spent two years researching before we started developing just researching what i'd need to do to bring a product from the idea in my head to where it is even now and in those days my kind of what you know my north star i wanted it to be on the page the, you know those front pages of stylist magazine where they have the the pick of the week we're not there yet we'll we'll get there i'm sure we'll get there um but i just thought if i could do that like oh my god you know this this, this would be amazing so that it's that well known about you know um but I, had not, I didn't even have a Facebook page for myself back in those days. So I had to learn social media. For example, learning social media was one thing that I had to do. Um, I also thought I was going to have to retrain as a cosmetic chemist, which would have been another two-year study. And I was just like, well, if I've got to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to do that because I went and found out about, um, about commercial formulators and um, contract manufacturers. So, But that was a whole journey to learn that. And so just kind of from the ground up, I learned what I had to do to, to bring to bring the product. Um, I also wanted, it was really important to me, as well as the things like the osmolarity and the pH, that it was um, condom compatible, the three main types of condoms as well, and that we didn't have um, any adverse reactions when, when people were using it. So we tested well above the legal minimum for what we needed to test. So we have condom, we tested for condom compatibility, we had a consumer test as well, a um, hundred couples to see how they responded, um, just to make sure that it was, you know, if if this product is going out, it's really got to be as good as it can be, you know. So um, yeah, overall, it took six six and a bit years to bring to bring it out. So um, yeah, I'm just really passionate as well because I think I think people think that lube is just for oh, you know menopause is coming on you know oh dear it's that kind of time that we feel like you know it's a sad time in a woman's life and I think we totally need to reframe a how we think about menopause and b how we think about lubricant so first of all if you're using the right lube everything is better than lube ask any person who uses lube in their 20s and 30s if you're not a lube user and they're using a good lube like into the wild how it compares to not using lube. I don't think you're going to have anyone who's got a complaint in that department, except if you're using a drying lube with bad stuff in it. Anyway, um, and then looking again at that piece around menopause, we always think, oh, you know, when as women, oh, we're not looking forward to that time. We lose something of ourselves as women, you know, for example, vaginal atrophy, vaginal dryness, as well as everything else, hot flashes, all the stuff. But I think we need to reframe that and look at the amount of wisdom a woman has gonna have got by that point in their lives, the amount of confidence they've got as well. They're really powerful. Women at that age, women are powerful creatures anyway, we know that. But women at that age, I think we should really be celebrating. I mean, this is, this is a lot of the work that you do as well, isn't it, Claire, around menopause yeah. and celebrating that. 
Yeah, um, I mean, this this is why we're so focused on the workplace and making sure these wise, talented, highly skilled professional women can stay in, in the workplace because to lose them is a travesty. It really is. Um, and we know most people will not have severe menopause symptoms, uh, but for the 25% who do, we need that, that recognition and that support so that they can continue to work and thrive and contribute. And we know, God, we need more women at the top of organisations. We Absolutely. need women running this bloody country. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Oh, don't get me started. This is a whole thing. <laughs> No, it's true because otherwise you're kind of silencing a whole group of people, aren't you? I mean, you're not actively silencing, but that group of people are being silenced because they don't fit into the societal kind of dominant narrative. And I think that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake. I mean, this is slightly off topic, but it's, it's, a, it's a mistake to do that. I think we're much richer with those voices. If I, if I could, I could just loop back to um, the concept of vaginal dryness as well. Go for it, yes. Because I think um, talking about that unholy trinity of the three S's, I think there is a lot of um, shame and stigma around vaginal dryness, period, but around vaginal dryness, if you're not menopausal as well, if you're younger, like... I've got a broken fanny, what's going on? You know, I'm not responding how I want to. And I think we really need to normalize this myth that if we feel turned on, it means that we've got a wet ass pussy, right? Because we might not have, and that's okay. And that's normal physiological response not to have that as well. Um, a variety of things can be playing into why your body might not be responding to how you want it to. So, um, or how you think it should um so things like stress can be implicated in that because um high levels of stress um can do uh, uh steal from your sex hormones in the production of the stress hormones um certain medications as well can cause you to have dry mucous membranes for example classic one is um <laughs> i always forget it's a hay fever medication antihistamines yeah yeah, because we often think that side effects of medicines are just what it says on the tin side effects, but they're still as potent as the main effects. It's just the skew that the pharmaceutical industry has put onto it because every effect a medicine has is the effect a medicine has. If some of the side effects are undesirable, it's because that's also the effects of the medicine, right? Um, and if you think though about um, hay fever medication, um, and antihistamines, one of the primary things it does is dry up your kind of nasal cavity and dry up um, your sinuses and dry, dry your eyes if you've got streaming eyes. Interesting, because you've got other mucous membrane sites on the body, like the vagina. So that could be one reason. Um, depression can be a reason as well. Um, so I th and it also dehydration, if you literally don't, if you haven't been drinking enough fluid... I'm going to say water because fluid can be 
uh, misleading because things like tea and coffee are actually dehydrating. Um, so enough water. Um, so even just things like that, it can be a really good indication that maybe you're just not drinking enough. And that's nothing really to be ashamed of. Just you can just drink more water. That's fine. Um, so I think it's really good to talk about that because often it can be you can feel quite embarrassed about that as well. If you're with a partner and you're like, oh, I'm not wet. What's good? You know, I don't want him to think her to think I don't fancy them, you know. Um, the consequences, she'll probably just continue, have very uncomfortable potentially painful sex yeah and that can cause more problems and long term that can really affect intimacy and how someone perceives sex and intimacy and pleasure yeah because if you're having pain while you're having sex that's on the for, for most people that's not the pleasure that you're looking for um another good point is if you're for whatever reason not uh well lubricated whilst having sex with her that's kind of your own lubrication or using a good quality lubricant that can cause micro tears in the vaginal mucosa as well which makes you know opportunist um candida or uh, other bacterial infection much more easy so you know <laughs> everything really is better with lube it sounds like it yeah I mean yeah, for sure but that's awful that people would it's such a shame that people would put that pressure on themselves if they're not if they feel like their body's not behaving in a way it should like that's, that's a shitload of stress and pressure to put on yourself isn't it absolutely and i think it's really common as well i think it's really common we kind of live in a hypersexualized society right now and i don't think that that's bad i think it's really good to, that we're talking about sex and that that is becoming a sexual expression and even just talking about the mechanics of sex is coming out of the closet as it were um I don't ever think that repression in this area can lead to anything particularly good. So for me, that's, that's great. But it's in the sense that it's hypersexualized. It's like, if my body isn't doing this, there is a problem. And I just have to grin and bear it and go along with it because we haven't done the other piece of work fully yet, which is about being so liberated that we're able to talk about our vaginal health and in a way where we are not, kind of bound by that unholy trinity the three s's again the shame stigma and silence we can talk about it because that's so much more healthy that's kind of the, the full 360 piece needs to and i think it is starting now isn't it um you know to kind of match match the rest of that work around sexuality and sexual expression so what would you like to see in terms of awareness and education about vaginal health and and everything we've talked about today really because it's clear that we don't know enough about this we don't talk about it as much as we could and should so what's your your dream if you like that's really interesting my dream is i guess that there is in the right kind of information out there easily accessible that all women 
have the knowledge about their vaginal and reproductive health really um that it's taught in schools you know we talk around um, hannah witten i think and probably many others as well have done a great piece around looking at how sex education is in schools and around concepts of consent and pleasure and and those kind of things and i think what we need to go along with that is um the the piece around how things actually work in a lot more detail and the kind of things we should do to look after look after ourselves one place that everyone can start today if you kind of want to get on board is start talking about it more openly ask your mum some questions if you've kind of got a good relationship with your mum ask some questions about experiences that she's had um, with vaginal health talk to your friends about it use the word vagina let's use the word vagina let's let's make our anatomical um names more well heard more commonly heard um i think that's a really good place to start and one piece of information i guess everyone needs to know is i think there's a lot of um worry around smell and that's fueled a whole industry around um, different products for odor so i think one thing to take away from that is every vagina has an odor and it's important the important thing isn't to make sure that it smells of flowers or it doesn't smell the important thing to note from that is really to know your own smell in health so that you can know when there is something going on that isn't quite right so that kind of fishy ammonia type smell with bv that kind of sweet yeasty smell when you're tipping into candida but just to really honor and know that you do have a smell and it's fine other people can't smell it unless you've got quite a serious infection going on um it's it's entirely normal and um you probably if when it's normal you don't need to use products the vagina self-washing you don't need to wash into the vagina in fact washing is a really good point that i'd like to make you only really need to use soap or gel on the area externally of the vulva that has hair or where hair normally would grow anything inside that if you're looking vulvally you just use water and you don't put anything up into the vagina because that will disrupt the microbiome yeah i've read a lot about douching and how that's really not good and yeah i th i think there's a cultural piece around that so i think in some cultures it's been done traditionally and then obviously a lot of women do that when they are worrying about a particular odor but it is a really easy way to wash out your your microbiome and it's not recommended such an important point and you're right i mean if you walk into any pharmacy now there are shelves dedicated to intimate feminine care or whatever they call it feminine hygiene and it's all oh. wipes and sprays and creams and in fact when when you tell me about moisturizers that you can now get for your vagina oh yeah like really your body really doesn't need that your the, the the vulval skin produces keratin it's able to kind of moisturize itself essentially and protect itself <laughs> um i think yeah there's a whole industry that jumped on the, i hate to say bandwagon 
but on those insecurities I think um and it's kind of really really missing the point it's really missing the point um it's kind of gone oh yeah this is an area we can talk about now let's commoditize it in a different way this always seems to happen in women's health doesn't it i mean if there's a if there's an insecurity to exploit let's let's do it right <laughs> let's do it yeah. i know and then volvo highlighters is another one that i've seen that was a few years ago hopefully they're not still around you'll have to explain this i've never heard of I, I don't know yeah I don't know why I don't know why I don't know why there's also uh, Volvo dyes as well around as well in case you wanted to make your Volvo skin more pink oh good god uh, yeah um that's, that's horrifying I know I know and it's really feeding into any insecurity I think especially I guess with the younger generation who are more um, accepting of talking about intimate health in ways that an older generation haven't been exposed to that generation are more likely to have had a lot of sex education from porn yeah I'd say sex education in inverted commas and yeah i think that's a little bit frightening so i'm imagining where th this is where that market is coming from um as i say i don't know if those products are still in the market i certainly saw a rise of them in 2016 which was i think 2016 was dubbed the year of the vagina uh, or was that 17 i every year is the year of the vagina honey <laughs> we're there <laughs> Oh, well, that seems like a perfect place to wrap up. Absolutely. Cathy, <laughs> oh, just, just let everyone know where we can find you on, on the internet and social media, because um, I'm sure a lot of people will be wanting to, to look you up and find out more. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. So um, first of all, I have two websites. So I have my clinical website where you can come and consult with me about your vaginal health um, or actually any aspect of your health at all. Um, and that is at thewildherbalist.com and uh, wild is W-Y-L-D-E. And if you're looking for the lube, wild one, uh, you will find her at um, intothewild.com and again, wild is W-Y-L-D-E. Um, if you're looking for us over on Instagram, uh, Into the Wild has um, its own Instagram page. I have my own Instagram page as well, but that's more just for my silliness as a human rather than I don't have a clinical page for that at the moment. Um, you can find uh, both the Lube and the Clinic over on Facebook as well either at The Wild Herbalist or Into the Wild and also Into the Wilds on Twitter as well, Into Wild, Into Wild. But um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that we link to all of those things in the show notes and also some of the other bits and pieces you've mentioned. There were some book recommendations and things like yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if um, just to let people know as well, if they sign up at intothewild.com, they get 10% off their first order. And if they want to sign up for updates from me clinically, 
um, over at theworldherbalist.com. You also get a free download, um, a guide to kind of the products that are out on the market at the moment for vaginal health and, and what's good and what's not. So. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, Kathy, it's been so oh, enlightening. <laughs> Bless you. Um, thank you so much. I feel like I've come away with a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah, no, my, my absolute pleasure. I feel like I've got so much to say as well. <laughs> so sorry. Because <laughs> it's quite a complicated subject. So, Well, look, let's do round two. I mean, why not? Why not? We can do a deep dive into something. Vaginas. Vaginas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about, oh, excuse me, we can talk about um, BV or something like that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And everybody listening, I'm sure you found this equally as informative. Um, thank you so much for joining Kathy and I today. And yeah, we'll see you again very soon. Bye. Bye.